glad you're here. My name is Blair. I'm one of the pastors here, and you've come during our Christmas series that we've called Chain Reaction. And what we've done is we've started looking at a bunch of stories that are kind of pieced together, and they create a chain reaction that launches Jesus into the world, which ultimately becomes the biggest chain reaction there is. Because what Jesus did, he wants to see travel through 2,000 years of history and show up in your life in a pretty significant way. You just heard a song that I bet you if I asked, do you, do you have that kind of sentiment that you would hope that love could win? A lot of us would say, yeah, I hope that's the case. And some of us would even say, I believe that's the case. I believe that love could win. But when you look at your life, do you, do you really believe that? Do you really think it has that kind of strength and power? And I think um, I've talked to enough people that they would like to believe that. They're not sure if they can. So this morning, we, we want to take a look at this. And we're going to start outside of the Christmas story. I actually want to start in a different place, and then we'll back ourselves into that story when I think um, we have the right groundwork for stuff to make sense. I actually want to start... Um, in 1 John. So if you have your Bibles and want to turn to 1 John chapter 4, John was an apostle. He hung out with Jesus. He, um, he saw him do things. He heard him talk. His perspective is pretty important. And John's going to have some things to say about love in chapter 4. Actually, um, if you want to go and spend a lot of time thinking about love, it's a great chapter to do it. It's got all kinds of stuff in there. But I want you to focus on a few things. So I want to start in verse 15 of 1 John chapter 4. And he writes this. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. Now this is, this is directly connected to the Christmas story. This is talking about Jesus, right? Jesus comes as a baby. He shows us what it means to live. He goes to a cross for us. Dies, comes back to life, and, and John is saying, listen, if you understand and acknowledge who this Jesus is, something really great happens in your life. God dwells with you, you dwell in God. It's a really good thing. We talked about this last week, about how that's where peace comes from. God's with you, but there's more to it than that. Because he goes on and he says in verse 16, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. He's saying, listen, when you understand this Jesus, you understand what went on and you've acknowledged that, it's not just that there's love there. This is love that you can know. Know you know that you're loved. And it's love that you can rely on. You can count on it. There's something there that's of value for you. Okay? So we, we want to understand what he's talking about here. How do we find a way to make that work in our lives? Now, if you were to go and read the rest of this, you'd find him saying a lot of interesting things about love. And then you would get to verse 19. And depending on what you've heard growing up is what you would determine that means. Because it's not simple to understand. In verse 19, he says this. We love because he first loved us. Now, um, what I heard when I was growing up was that ultimately what this means is that you don't have the ability or the capacity to love until God loves you, which sounds really good until you understand how that's worked out practically. 
Practically speaking, it would sound something like this. And I heard conversations like this growing up, and it made me uncomfortable. So they might be talking to a woman who's not yet acknowledged Jesus. And they would say to her, you really don't love your kids because you don't love Jesus yet. You don't have the capacity to really love properly until you love Jesus. They would look at people and say, you don't have the capacity to to sacrificially love anybody until you acknowledge Jesus. Here's here's the problem. I, I can look at families of people who have not acknowledged Jesus and I can see acts of love. Nuts. You can look on a battlefield and you can watch soldiers making sacrificial choices that cost them their lives because they love the brother who they're fighting next to. And the opposite isn't always true either. Just because somebody knows God doesn't mean they're packed full of love. I've met a lot of people. I know. I know they know God. They have a relation and a connection with him. But they're mean. Right? I mean, they're not very nice at all. And so, so you look at this and you're like, is this what this is about? Is this just, if you don't have God, all of the love that you have is just selfish. I, I, think, that's, I think that's really hard to say. Just simply, just based on this alone, we're made in God's image. One of those things, one of those things that makes us made in God's image is we carry emotions. God's an emotional God. He responds and acts towards love towards us. We have the capacity to love. And that that comes as part of being a person, a human being that you're created with. And so people have that capacity. And I'm not convinced it's helpful to insult people and say, you really don't love. Because they're... Like they're doing acts of love and it doesn't make sense to them what we're saying. So what is this about? Well, if you look in other translations, you'll find it translated, we love God because he first loved us. And that's getting closer. We're getting a little closer to where we're going here. But even then, I've heard people talk about this in kind of a tit-for-tat sort of way where we sit back and we wait for God to love us before we'll love him. And again, it's kind of rooted in this selfish sort of thing. But I don't think that's what John's trying to get at. I think John's trying to help us understand this. God approaches us in a way that's based on love, that builds a foundation for our lives to work on. Think of how he came. He came as a baby He could have come in all kinds of ways, but he chose to communicate a deep love for us, to be near us, to be one of us, to do that sort of thing because he had this passion for us, which is an incredible thing. God wanted us to know and rely on a love, and so he approached us that way to build a foundation, which is really important because if you pay attention in our culture, love is really important to us. It's kind of a big deal. If you went right now and you looked at the top 40 songs that we're playing and you made a list of the ones that were about love, the majority of them would be that. If you go and turn on um, some stations and watch what's going on, you you would see uh, all kinds of stories based on love, even crime ones where people are committing crimes based on passion or love, right? 
You could go to Ion Television right now. It breaks my heart, man. They normally have cop shows on there. And right now, they are full of those cheesy Christmas stories, right? I, I don't even like flashing over it for a second because I feel, oh, that's so gross. But they're everywhere. And you can, I mean, you watch a story like that and you know five minutes in how it's going to end. And it's going to be so sweet at the end, right? And my wife loves those. And even she's like, oh, this is so terrible. But she won't turn the channel, right? I don't understand it. <laughs> Love is important to us. It's everywhere. And it's also, it's also something that we struggle with deeply. As a culture, like if we're being really honest about it, we struggle with love all over the place. I mean, maybe part of the struggle is that we have one word. Hebrew has five words to describe the different layers of love that somebody might have. They even have two phrases that aren't connected to that that you could probably pull in and say they're talking about love. Greek had six. We have one. We have one. So when I say, I love my wife and I love pizza, like you have to figure out if that's the same or not, Right? And generally, it's not. Although, I mean, as you think about it, my wife and pizza are both saucy. <laughs> she tells cheesy jokes, and she has a lot of pep. Oh, my word, my wife and pizza are the same. They're the same. So when I say that, you can understand, right? You know that's crazy. You know there's layers to all of this stuff. It makes it hard to communicate. I remember about seven years ago, I had decided that I wanted to be a better volleyball coach. And I, I actually um, flew cross country. I went 2,000 miles um, to a coaching clinic out west. I'd, I'd looked them up. I felt like, man, they probably had the best program. And, and the guy thought it was a little weird that I had flown so far to be there. And so he just looked at me and he goes, why are you here? <laughs> right? And I said, I love volleyball. Right? And he looked at me and he goes, you love volleyball? Like I was a moron. Like, like I was saying, I love my wife and I love volleyball and it's the same. But I felt kind of weird because I don't think saying I liked volleyball expressed why I had just traveled so far, paid so much money and took a week of vacation to do that. Like there was more to it than that. So there are layers there's layers to all of this, and all of those layers get confusing for us. But I kind of don't think it matters. Because when I talk with people, it doesn't seem to matter which layer they're messing with. It's causing us difficulty. Like when I say, I love, what are you talking about? Like friendship love? Yeah, let's, let's talk about that one. How many people are struggling to figure out what it means to be a friend. If that person is really your friend or if they're betraying you. What it is, your expectations. Am I, can I have them here? Should I have them here? How do I do this? How do I find friends? And so we struggle with friendship even. What about romantic love? Oh yeah, you want a world of pain? Enter into that. Like it's hard to figure out. And I, I want to tell you right now, there are people who are giving up on it. Uh, right now, they're, they're ahead of us just a little bit. In Japan, 
they just, they just surveyed the general public. 69% of eligible bachelors have no romantic interest and don't see any chance of one anytime soon. They, um, they're starting to marry their friends because they don't know what else to do. I, I guess this is the best I can do. Want to have kids? Let's get married. And it's because there's so much social isolation that stuff is breaking down. They're estimating that the Jap Japanese population is 127 million right now. In several decades, we'll be down to the mid-83, 85 million because they're not going to have kids because they can't connect. I want to tell you right now, the signs of that are starting to show up here. The same social isolation is happening in our country because we can't figure out how to relate with each other emotionally, romantically. It's not the only kind. What about family, right? Family's easy. <laughs> I've talked with people who knew their parents loved them but never heard them say the words. I've talked with people who aren't sure if their parents love them or not. Like, they think so, but they're not really sure they were in that kind of relationship. And I've talked with some who are confident that their parents did not love them. The, the, the actions of their parents spoke volumes to them, and they were not a priority in their parents' lives. And they were on the outs. And so this idea of family love ends up being a mess too. I think for some of us, love is such a mess that in our culture, we're settling for all kinds of terrible substitutes. Well, I'm having sex. That's love, right? No, it's not. Well, a, a bad relationship's better than no relationship, right? No, it's not. And yet we settle, and we settle, and sometimes the reason we settle is because we've had so much difficulty with love. We've either believed some outside voices or some internal ones that we've interpreted our world to be, and we've concluded that we're unlovable, that the problem is with us. And if we could just work harder to solve this, if we could do the right things to make them happy, to make them like us, to make them love us, that we could prove once and for all we are lovable. So you have all of this mess. See, I, I'm not sure it matters. One word, multiple words. I think it is important to us because we have all kinds of people talking about love. And we have all kinds of evidence that it's a mess in our culture. Maybe we would just make everything easier if you just got married, right? That solves everything. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Right? Because you have to work through that. You have to work through that. You know what happens with all of this angst of love that we have in our lives? It sometimes, I think oftentimes, spills into our relationship with God. And the way we think about love that we've lived with our own lives, we start thinking that God thinks this way too. That maybe God thinks, I'm unlovable. And we have this moment of failure that we can look back on and we can point to that and say, I really blew it there and I don't know if God can ever get over that and love me. 
Or maybe it wasn't a, a moment. Maybe it just wasn't one, the single thing. Maybe it was a prodigal season in your life where you turned your back and you walked away and you've got a pile of stuff and you're not sure. You're not sure if God's love reaches into that. And so you've been doing some stuff to try to figure out how God could reach into your life. I'm, I'm going to do things to make him happy. I'm, I'm going to figure this out. Sometimes it goes so far as to impact the way you see God as father. Because in your mind, you had a dad who was angry, had authority, and used it. And you've heard stories of God like that too. And the idea that you would fall before a loving father absolutely terrifies you. Because you don't know if you can trust him. Now, now listen. When it starts to spill on to this idea of who God is in our lives, our ability to know and rely on love starts to diminish, starts to be robbed from us. And it's why I love, I love that we're talking about this at Christmas time. It gives you a chance to reset to look at that moment in history where God said, hey, I'm trying to find a way to make this as clear as possible. I'm putting my love on display. There's no take backs. My son's coming. He's coming as a baby, and it's happening. And for us, it happened. And there's something incredible about that story. There's also some irony there. I don't know if you've thought about this or not. But God, in his desire to write the greatest love story ever told, is writing it in the midst of one of the greatest love tragedies ever told. I, I want you to see this. And I want you to see what he does with this because I think there's something in there for those of us who struggle with this idea of love. In Matthew 1, Verse 18, halfway through, the scriptures record this. Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now, we know they had arranged marriages, and we know how the system worked. When, when they became engaged, they were seen as a married couple, but it, it could take a year like the guy would go and he would prepare some stuff and then he would come back and he would get her and all of that sort of stuff. But she was considered married to him at that point. As soon as the agreement was made, even if she wasn't with him. Um, but it was still considered an engagement time. Everybody kind of understood it that way until there was this big marriage celebration and ceremony. And, and the um, marriage wasn't based on love. It was based on a contract. You understood your expectations, you understood their expectations, and both people met their expectations. Guess what? One of the expectations is that you wouldn't get pregnant during the engagement period, especially with somebody else, right? The scriptures say she was found to be pregnant. I've wondered about what that means. I've wondered if that was Mary going up to Joseph and saying, hey, an angel told me I'm pregnant. I just want you to know. I suspect it was more like this. An angel told Mary. She gets excited. She goes and spends three months with Elizabeth. When she comes back, she's got a little 
little belly showing. And people went, what is that? Right? They found that she was pregnant. I tell you what, as soon as that happened, nothing good comes next. Nothing good comes next. There's only two things that um, Joseph would be responsible to do. They're the same thing, but they just happen in different ways. He was obligated to divorce her. And one of the things that he had to consider doing was whether he would do it publicly or not. It's when you would take her before all the elders of the town, and they would make a decree that she had done this wrong thing. And then they would be separated. A divorce decree would be handed out. But the problem was, because of the reason for this divorce, if this thing were made public, she wasn't just at risk of being ostracized by the community. That was going to happen no matter what. How do you think it's going to go over when they say, tell us who made you pregnant, and she says, God did? What happens to Mary? She's going to get stoned. Her life is on the line. Now listen, at this point in the story, how do you think Mary and Joseph are feeling when it comes to love? Joseph feels betrayed, feels backed into a corner. I'm going to have to respond to this. Mary knows she's in trouble. She can be publicly disgraced. Her life's on the line. This is a mess. And by the way, we know this because the scriptures kind of give us these kind of details. In verse 19, it says, because um, Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, because he was faithful to the law, it meant he would have to divorce her. That was the only option he had. If he was going to be a faithful Jew, that was his choice, divorce. And he had only two options there. And, and you see this. And yet he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. So he's considered it. Like, I'm going to take her before all the elders, and we're going to do this. Because that's what I have to do as a righteous Jew who loves Jesus. That's what I have to do. Or he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Which means he was, it was the only other option for him at this point. There was a type of divorce that was functioning at this time in history in the Jewish culture called any matter divorce. You could look at your spouse and say, she displeases me. You could write up a certificate, have somebody sign it. You could give her that, send her out of the house, and it would be done. It would be as quiet as you could do it. There would still be a lot of gossip because nobody would send away somebody that was carrying your baby. So they, people would know, but she wouldn't, she wouldn't be under the threat of being killed, right? So at least he had his mind on straight to do that sort of thing. But this is a mess. I mean, if you want to look at all the struggles attached to love, they're in the middle of it right now. If the story ends like this, how, how bitter is Joseph? Does Mary believe that she's unlovable? By the way, she probably would never have married again. 
The only people who would have considered marrying her are the bottom of the barrel, and she would not have wanted that. They would have treated her like garbage. She would have been in trouble. You have all of this angst in this story, which is kind of odd because God's attempting to write a love story in the midst of this. And so God gets involved. Verse 20 says, but after he, Joseph, had considered this, he considered all of his options. I think he had made up his mind what he was going to do. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. By the way, this is just, this is just a side note. Did you see that the angel said, don't be afraid to take her home? That, that was a third option. He could have done that. But he's going to end up ostracized like her if he does something like this. His family's not going to appreciate or value that he would make that choice. He would not be considered a righteous person. And sometimes what we think is a love struggle, it masks itself as something else. Joseph was afraid. And God was able to identify that and say, listen, I know what you're struggling with right now. Here's what I want you to do. And then he gives him more information. He says, she will give birth to a son. Um, you'll give him the name Jesus. By the way, he's finally got some of the same information that Mary has. Mary's known this. He doesn't. But then this is the, this is the big piece. This is, this is why. This is why I'm doing all of this, God says. He will save his people from their sins. He'll save his people from their sins. I'm, I'm giving you the motivation that I have behind doing all of this, putting you through all of this. Now listen, he communicates this through a dream. I don't, I don't know if you dream or not. I, I do not. I would tell you I don't dream. I know what the doctors say. We all dream. I would, okay, I don't remember my dreams. But... I've been preparing this for a little while. This stuff has been on my mind a lot. And about a week ago, I had a dream, and it was not comfortable, right? I dreamed that my wife got pregnant. <laughs> Stop laughing. Not telling you it is a joke, right? Because in my dream, the thought I had was, hey, the doctor said after my procedure, that couldn't happen. It's not my baby. Right? So I wake up, and I'm disturbed. Right? It was a dream. I, I mentioned this to my wife. Hey, I had a dream that you got pregnant, and she started laughing. That allowed me to feel better. Right? But listen, um... Joseph just didn't have this dream that we laugh at, right? We laugh at these things. He didn't laugh at this. The scriptures say he got up and acted. Like he believed what God had to say because this is what happened. God just approached him and created a foundation that he could have a relationship with Mary based on, and it was God's love. Joseph, do you understand that I am coming to the world out of love to save it. The scriptures would go on to tell us, Simeon would say, 
that this baby comes to save Gentiles too. This baby is coming to save us all. His motivation was love. And when that happened for Joseph, it created a foundation on which he could relate to Mary. And instead of fear, and instead of all of that stuff that would have broke them apart, they move forward together with strength. It's incredible. God built that foundation on which they could operate on. Now listen, 2,000 years ago, God built a huge billboard in history that you could look back on and with confidence know that God came out of love for you. It's, it's there, flashing for you to see. Once a year, we think about it seriously, but it's always there. It's an anchor point. Why? So that you can know the value that God has placed on you, loves you. Man, he loves you. He sent his son as a baby to earth who would become a sacrifice for you. And he did it out of passionate love. And he wants you to have that as an anchor point so that you can rely on that. Because this is what God had in mind. See, that when you have that connection with God, that you know you know that he loves you, that it's something you can count on and rely on, what happens is it starts to spill into your life. It starts going the other way. And all of these places where we struggle and we wonder, am I lovable or not? Will I ever have a family that I can find love with? And God goes, yeah, right here in my family, I got your back. Can I ever find romantic love? Yeah, but you're going to be patient and know that I absolutely love you in the process. Right? You, th this is what happens, is it changes your perspective of how you're going to go about living because you know that you know his love for you. And when Mary and Joseph understood that God was coming to save mankind and he was going to use them to do it, it changed their whole story. And God wants to do the same with you. He wants to take that story that you have where love is a struggle and he wants to become the anchor point in your life to know without a doubt and to rely and count on his love because he's created the foundation by which you can respond with gratitude and devotion to God because without it, we would be lost. We'd be lost in our struggles and our discontent and our worry and our fear but God, out of love, changes the whole story, and get this, makes it so that love can win. Because it's based on what he built and what he did. And it has a chance to ripple into every part of your life. Let me pray with you this morning. God, I just want to start by saying thank you. 
that you decided to approach us, you could approach this as a king, you could have approached us with authority, you could have approached us as almighty creator and demanded our allegiance. And you chose a baby. You chose to come at us with love. And God, it's easy to look around the, the stuff that's happening in our lives. It's, it's easy to look at the hardships that we sometimes face. And we conclude that maybe, just maybe, God doesn't love me. Maybe, just maybe, I haven't done enough. Maybe, just maybe, I need to do a little bit more. And instead of knowing and relying on this love that you had for us that started at Christmas, we wrestle and struggle. So God, this morning, I ask that you would meet. I ask that you would go into this crowd, that you would touch the hearts of people and whisper deep into their souls, I am a God who loves and I love you. You. You're not unlovable. You're not broken. Beyond repair, I've got you. I love you. God, I ask that that reassurance would give us confidence to stand. Stand in our world, stand in our family, stand at work, knowing and relying that we are loved. May it change the way we interact with those around us. It's what you wanted to do. Thank you for this reminder at Christmas. We love you. Thank you so much for choosing to love us. In Jesus' name, amen.